0: To listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom.
1: There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under heaven. a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden of God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past into account.
2: Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the Leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, Why is this this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over.
0: My name is Matt. I am one of the ministers here. If you're new visiting... It's fantastic you're here, welcome. Uh, We are in the middle of thinking through what it would look like for Jesus to walk in the midst of Newtown. How is it would he answer the narratives and the stories that we hold close to ourselves? And this evening we are thinking a little bit about beauty. Now one of the things, uh, having moved into this part of the world that really has captivated me, uh, is graffiti. Graffiti. Uh, Where I'm from, graffiti makes things more ugly, uh, makes them look less nice. But something about the graffiti and the street art in this part of the world makes things more lovely, more beautiful, more profound, more stunning, more awe-filled. And walking around the streets of Newtown is like walking around an art gallery at all these beautiful things that inspire imagination and seem to give life. Uh, The I Have a Dream mural on King Street a bit further down is one of the most famous. I don't know if you know the story, this was actually illegally painted in the middle of the night one night because they couldn't get a permit to do it. And only later was it found out that actually one of the guys who did it was a murderer who was later convicted and put back in prison uh, in England. Uh, And yet, here it is, (laughs) Uh, illegally painted by a murderer and lasting. Um, One of the more famous artists around uh, is Linton McGee. His stuff is uh, everywhere. This is one of my absolute favorite pieces of art. He's even on Church Street just up the road. Uh, the owner actually accidentally painted over it, and so we had to make a new one, which is kind of awkward and hilarious. Uh, he's also made one of a, in Jordan just recently of an Assyrian girl he met in a refugee camp. Uh, he wanted to put her large in Jordan and proclaim uh, the need of such children through an art uh, space that is open to political action in that way. I think this is probably the best representation of what his work and other street art kind of does to us. It sings to us of how the world might be. Of what it looks like for things to be arranged in the way they possibly could without some of the brokenness and pain. Beauty nourishes us, gives us life in that way, I think, and hope but to be honest, the, the thing I've seen most that's inspired me thinking about beauty this week is actually a billboard on the back of the bus. I swear, every bus going down King Street in the last week has had one TV show on the back advertising. I don't know if you know what it is. The Real Housewives of Sydney. I swear I've seen that more times than I can count. And, you, and when, you, when you see it, you've got this blonde woman there, and there's obviously, she's tried to make herself more beautiful in various ways that you can tell by looking. Um, but it occurred to me as I looked at her that it's not just that we love to make beautiful things. It's not just that we like to experience beautiful things. But perhaps we, like her, want to become beautiful. C.S. Lewis says it like that, at least. We do not merely want to see beauty. We want something else which we can hardly even put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. We long for beauty, and yet one of the things about our world at the moment is that the the place it ascribes for beauty is a fairly insignificant one. The reason why your heart rises, it starts beating faster as you look over an escarpment at a beautiful scene. It's because there's some survival mechanism that's triggered in the back of your brain that's telling you that might be a good place to plant for the night. And when you see a beautiful man or a beautiful woman, you're just, your brain's trying to tell you that maybe they'll make a good mate one day. And that beautiful food that you like and you eat, it's just your brain telling you that you won't get poisoned from this meal. Beauty is a shimmering surface with no depth. That is a story we are often told and our hearts seem to rise up against it in this part of the world. What is it that Jesus says about beauty? Because I feel that what he says has deeper resonance than the story our world is telling at the moment. Three things we're going to think about beauty. The mystery of beauty, the meaning of beauty, and the marvel. I had to alliterate, right? Poetic, beauty, you got it. Yeah, we're good. Uh, Have a look, first of all, at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we'll think about the mystery of beauty. Now, this is a a profound and stunning poem, isn't it? It's kind of cute in a lot of ways. Uh, it, It takes us through the seasons of life and proclaims that there is a time for everything, Things are planted and uprooted. Things lead you to mourn and things lead you to dance. There's a time to build and a time to tear down, a time to love and a time to hate. As you wander through life, there are all of these little experiences, little packets of beauty. These little packets of time where we experience people, we make things, we participate in things we look back on and say, that was marvelous, astounding, beautiful and profound. There are many seasons of beauty that we walk through life and experience. But this cute poem isn't actually one of joy, is it? It's depressing, actually, and melancholic. What the poet is saying is that, you know what, you walk through life, but you don't get to choose when you weep and when you dance. You didn't get to choose... When you tear down and when you build up. You don't choose when you get landed in a war or grow up in a place of peace. We walk through life and we catch glimmers of beauty and profound moments of awe, but they escape from our grasp. They don't last. And we can't control when they come or when they will flee. And to make matters worse, according to uh, the poet in verse 10 and 11, in fact, our experience of beauty is a burden. Because in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and, and in addition, he set eternity in the hearts of men. And they can't, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You walk through life and you experience it in these little packets, these little packets of beauty, these little moments where things are great and things, or things are hard. Things are great, things are hard. Beauty, 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 beauty. But what God has done is set in your heart a longing to see the whole thing. And you're walking in part of the story, but you want to know how it relates to the whole. You hear part of a song, but how is it part of a bigger song? How is the relation of this little packet of beauty? to a wider, deeper, more extravagant, more profound beauty. The poet's experience of beauty is that it both gives life and drives us mad. Because we feel in every beautiful moment the haunting of some infinite, bigger, eternal thing that we can't take hold of, that we can't see, that we can't fathom. These glimmers of beauty show us part of which we long for the whole. Shakespeare's first sonnet opens by saying, From fairest creatures we desire increase, That thereby beauty's rose might never die. When we lock onto something beautiful, a someone or a something, we long for its beauty to grow and increase, for that moment to never end, to get a glimpse of the eternal thing behind it. And so we cling on to beautiful things desperately, hoping they will satisfy our starving hearts. But actually, the sonnet is written to a young man obsessed with his own looks. And after describing this young man's obsession, Shakespeare says to him, You are making a famine where abundance lies. You are starving for beauty, but your looks will never get it. Often our response like the young man to our longing for beauty is to kind of get drunk on the experience of life. To drink full of a beautiful thing that we can see. To call that the marvelous and great whole that we long for. It's like we're splashing around in a little shell, half-shell kiddie pool, thinking that if we splash all the water out, we might land in the ocean. And we settle for shades of beauty and beautiful things and beautiful people rather than the whole we are madly trying to find. There is a profound mystery to beauty in this world. So what is beauty's meaning? If we flick over to Mark 14, we see a fascinating little story. As Caitlin said, Jesus is at the end of his life, and this story is bookended by uh, people scheming Jesus' death, The, the chief priests and teachers at the beginning, and at the end, Judas agrees with them to betray Jesus. But in the middle, you get this story about a woman And Jesus labels what she does as beautiful. Now, we're not told her name. We're not told what she does. Mark makes us focus purely on her action. She walks in. Jesus is at the table of a man named Simon the leper. Apparently, dinners were open things. You could walk in and hang out. I don't know what that's about, but it's true. And Jesus came in. Uh, and he's sitting there, and this woman walks in with an alabaster jar, and they, these these beautiful long-necked jars. Uh, and it's full of expensive perfume, pure nard. And the, these jars would have a little cloth in the top, so you could kind of dip a little bit here and there, you know, just to make yourself smell good. Um, but she doesn't bother with the cloth. She just smashes the whole thing and, and just lavers it over Jesus' head. It is extravagant. It is reckless. And in fact, the perfume itself costs a year's wages. It is worth 60 grand. (laughs) It is expensive perfume. And those looking on know it. They go, what are you doing? Why are you wasting this? Literally, why are you destroying this? This could have been more useful. We could have given it away to the poor. But Jesus says, leave her alone. This is what she has done is beautiful. Why? Why is it beautiful? Well, it is a sign of what is about to happen to the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, she is preparing me, preparing my body for its funeral. You'll always have the poor with you, but you're about to lose me. You see, a a glass uh, alabaster jar is shattered, costly though it may be, but the thing that is about to be destroyed is the Lord Jesus. The life that is about to be shattered and poured out is His. And really the significance, the beauty of this moment is that she has picked the right packet of time and knows the eternal purpose that is about to happen. Her act is beautiful because it points to a greater beauty, a greater thing, a greater extravagance, a greater cost that is about to be paid. That is what beauty is. That is how it functions. It is a signpost, a beautiful, extravagant, stunning signpost to a deeper thing. The same is true actually back in Ecclesiastes 3. The word that I left out as we worked along is that God made everything beautiful in its time. Every season, every joy, every packet All of its intricacy, all of its stunning and profound awe producing in you, all of it is the work of one artist, of one delighting creator, who makes things not because he has to, but because he feels like it, because he loves to make. One thinker says that, you know, creation was made out of delight, and so only if you delight in creation do you actually start to get it. And all of the beauty of the world is a signpost to the greater beauty, the greater artistry, the eternal one behind all things. It is in the beauty of the world that we begin to see glimmers, half glimmers of the beautiful artist of God. The meaning of beauty is to be a signpost. This was driven home to me uh, when I met uh, a girl named Claire about three years ago. Now, Claire, uh, I've told this story before, I think. Um, she grew up, and when she was eight years old, she, went, she was one of those people who went up to her mom and said, what's the word for when you don't believe in God? Atheist? Okay, that's what I am. <laughs> and uh, she grew up at a selective school and just had this in great intellectual picture of the world that did not include a God. And she grew up on Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and would have self-described as a militant atheist. They were her words, not mine. I wouldn't label her. She did that. But she likes to tell this story. She says, you know, God found me up a tree. Claire has always loved climbing trees, and she describes this moment when she leant back on a thick branch in Sydney one time, and was looking up, at the blue sky underneath the green leaves. And she describes in that moment that there was this sensation of how perfect the world is. How glorious and beautiful and intricate and how really this cannot be an accident. And if this whole thing is not an accident, then maybe I am not an accident because I am part of this world. And that means I am designed... Intricately as well. She describes it, uh, what that does to her like this. In that moment, I felt so loved, so held, so happy in the core of my being and filled in a place I didn't even know was empty. I knew that grace was real and something changed. This so disoriented Claire, this moment, that she then spent a whole year trying to work it out. And she looked at the religions of the world, and she discussed with historians and scholars and went on a journey. This was just a glimmer, a beginning. But do you see how beauty in this moment functioned? as a signpost to the artist. It had a deeper meaning from the one who gave it its meaning. The great and beautiful God. But we need to drill in on that a bit more, don't we? Because one, to experience something in a tree one day And another thing to know who God is. And the marvel of beauty is knowing where exactly the signposts are leading. And there's a little bit more in this story with the woman that can help us here. You see, the reality is that that the pouring of perfume on a dead body was considered in, in, in Jesus' day to be an act of charity. That's why when they ask, why did not you give this to the poor, Jesus says, no, she just did a different act of charity. Uh, You could give to the poor or you could pour perfume, you could honor the dead and both were considered acts of charity. What you see here is an act of loving and costly devotion. The pouring of perfume over Jesus' head is what would happen to a king. It would happen to someone honored. It would happen to the anointed Messiah. And it's this devoted act of love that bestows honor on Jesus because of His death that is about to happen. And what Jesus says about this in verse 9 is that this story of this woman, of this beautiful act, is actually going to be known in the whole world it's going to go out with what he calls the gospel, which means good news. Even Jesus has an idea that his burial, his funeral, will break into good news. She sees something, and he knows something. But that is just bizarre, isn't it? How can this beautiful act of this woman compare to the cross? I mean, there is nothing beautiful about the cross that Jesus endures. It is brutal, it is shameful, it's disfiguring, it's frankly disgusting in the ancient world. The antithesis of perfection, the antithesis of beautiful, of the glorious, of the good. How in any way can the cross of the Lord Jesus be beautiful? Actually, in the frame around this passage, we get a hint. The time when they were scheming about Jesus' life was the Passover, and they didn't want him to die in the Passover, but he ended up dying in the Passover. And what the Passover was, was another incredible time of ritual in Jewish life, hailing back to days when they were in Egypt, when they were commanded by God to kill a lamb, to get its blood, and to put it over the door frames of their house. And what happened in that night is God saw the blood and went over the house. And His judgment went with Him. So nothing touched the house. And for the ages since, the Jews would enact the same thing. They'd put the blood on their door frame. To say, you know what? The blood means that the the judgment of God passed over us. It was the lamb for our sons, the lamb for our family, the lamb for our judgment. And Jesus' death is the same. He is the great Passover lamb. He is the one whose blood is sprinkled over the doorframe of the world. Who enables the judgment of God to pass over us. You see, it is not His ugliness on the cross. It is ours. It is our failed attempts to understand the beauty of the world and bowing down to all types of things that have brought God's judgment on us. That is the end point of our life in Jesus' body. And the only reason this is beautiful is because He did it out of love for you and me. The beauty of the cross is that the God, the artist of all things, lays down all of his beauty, all that he has, that we might stay part of his beautiful world. And really, all the beauty in the world, all the little moments, all the little glimmers, they are all summons, they are all half-filled songs half-filled places, drawing us to that one place, to His cross, where beauty is completely inverted and defined and recalibrated by His love for humanity, by His willingness to costly break the vessel of His own body for the world. And the way to become beautiful is to follow the example of the woman in Mark 14. Who is so captivated by the Lord Jesus, by his impending death? The bowstrings of her heart are so bent by what is about to happen that she enacts love and honor to him. She enacts and does beauty because she is captivated by his beauty. That is the way that we become beautiful. So as we conclude, let me just let you dwell on that. There's a mystery behind beauty. There's but a meaning in it being a signpost. And ultimately, the marvel of beauty is the cross. And all the glimmers in your world, all the half-filled thoughts, all the transient moments, are filled with the song of a God summoning you to the love of His Son longing for you to accept his death on your behalf and to live out a different type of beauty, of self-sacrificial love for him and others. Let's pray. Our Father, we don't deserve to be in a world like this, a world dripping with your artistry, with your delight. Uh, we have felt your delight in the enjoyment we have felt day by day. And yet we have thrown ourselves on the half beautiful things, the people, stuff, and forgotten you. We are so thankful for the cross of the Lord Jesus. And we pray, bend the bowstrings of our heart captivate us with his love that we might not be beautiful in any way but by being his beauty and acting his self-sacrifice in the power of